And we are live. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the UFC 231 Holloway versus Ortega section. Uh, fight takes place this Saturday, December 8th in Toronto. And as the title of this podcast implies, it's going to be headlined by Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. And this is one of those fights where, you know how you get, like, especially when the middleweight division was going through this with, like, Michael Bisbing and GSP. I don't think there's any doubt that these are the two best fighters in that division. I think everyone thinks that they need to be fighting. Um we're going to get a lot of questions answered this Saturday, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, before we hop into breaking down the main card, let's start off with some news. Uh, first and foremost, I think this was just announced today, but I think I've read like rumors about it online over the past couple of days. But Dominic Cruz is going to be fighting John Lineker at UFC 233 in Anaheim. And that's the same card it's going to have. That card's actually shaping up to be a fucking great card because it's going to have Henry Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw on, Dillashaw on it. Uh, I heard, I'm not positive if this is true, but I heard they were thinking about doing Woodley and Covington on it. Uh, I think Joseph Benavidez just got added to the card. Ben Askren's fighting Robbie Lawler. I mean, James Vick and Paul Felder. Another big fight, Jose Aldo's fighting Cub Swanson. I mean, UFC 233 is going to be fucking stacked, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, and this is going to be a big fight, you know, probably a title eliminator fight. The winner of this is probably going to get a shot at the winner. Well, Dillashaw, I think, is is he moving down or is Cejudo moving up? Either way, the probably they're going to get a shot, a shot at either Demetrius or Jesus Christ. Sorry, they're going to get a shot at either TJ Dillashaw or Henry Cejudo, depending on the outcome of that fight. So. Uh, got two massively important fights at 135 pounds that night. And I think that's January 26th, if I remember right. I don't have the date in front of me. I should have probably wrote it down for you guys. But all right, what else do we got? Oh, pretty big news. Sage Northcutt is getting released from the UFC. And he's a kid who, I mean, I think as he's gotten older, he's realized that he's going to have to move up in weight. So he's been fighting a lot of his fights at the welterweight weight class and I mean, he's looked pretty good lately, right? But, And I think a lot of people are debating right now, like, is Sage gone for good? Is he ever coming back to the UFC? And I think the answer is yes. I think I think you'll see him back in a few years because right now the problem for the UFC, if you're Sage – or the problem with Sage Northcutt, if you're the UFC rather, is that you've got this young guy. He's like, what, 20-some years old, maybe 21, 22? massive potential, right? He's obviously very skilled, but he just hasn't put everything together yet. And he struggles a little bit on the ground, especially if people get on top of him, you know? He did have that one, I forget the guy's name that even fought, but he had that one fight where uh, he escaped that deep arm bar, which was, I think, important for him, especially coming off criticism of uh, his fight against Brian Barberino, where he tapped and people didn't think the choke was fully locked in. So he got to, you know, show a little bit of his toughness there. And then he lost to uh, Mickey Gall as well. But those might be the only two losses in the UFC for him and maybe of his entire career. So, I mean, I think he'll be back. And I think, like I I was trying to get to earlier, you're going to run into a problem with Sage where he's young and he's not polished enough to fight some of the top guys at 170 pounds. And if you keep matching him up, against a lot of these tougher opponents, they're probably going to end up beating him just because of experience. You know, they're, they're going to have an edge over him. And I think Dana White knows that. But if you send him off to an organization like 1FC where he ended up going, you've got a much 
I'm not saying there's no chance that he's going to lose. Obviously, there's a chance anyone could lose any fight, right? But he's got a much more – he's got a path laid out in front of him for success. I mean, he's going to – I think he's going to be able to beat guys over in that organization a little bit more easily, and I think Dana White knows it. So, you know, you send him over to an organization that doesn't quite have the talent, you let him develop, and then you bring him back when he's kind of proved to everyone that, okay, he's ready for the UFC now. Because if not, you're going to potentially ruin this kid. If you keep letting them fight top-level fighters or you eventually have to face him up against these top-level fighters and they start beating his ass, it's going to discredit everything. And to Sage, that's not really fair, you know? Because, I th- like I said, he has a ton of potential, but if he goes on a losing streak in the UFC trying to compete with these top-flight guys – it's going to, people aren't going to be as interested in watching him because he's going to have a reputation for losing to higher end competition, right? So the one FC move I think is brilliant. I think you're going to see Sage back. I think that's probably shit that's all been worked out behind the scenes between Dana and Sage, right? Like, I highly doubt they just fucking cut him. They were probably like, you need to go get some experience and come back a little bit later because you're going to start, you're too good for the lower end guys. And you've kind of proven that through some of the guys that we've made you fight, but you're probably not where you need to be yet to start fighting guys in that upper echelon of that division. So expect to see Sage back at some point, unless he starts making fucking bank over in one FC. I mean, I'm sure Demetrius Johnson's getting paid over there. You know, if the, if the money's better over there, I don't know, man, it's, it's an interesting spot right now. Cause I think the market for one FC over in Japan is massive, right? I mean, Ben Askren just came from there to fight in the UFC, and he's already got a massive fan base, right? I think Joe Rogan's podcast probably helped out with that a lot too. But, I mean, I think he had a lot of fans before anyone. I think there are a lot of people who are going to see the fight against Robbie Lawler and maybe have not even heard of him. Up until Joe started talking about it, had it on his podcast, and, uh, you know, started getting some exposure in that way. But used to fight in Bellator. I mean, 1FC and Bellator against some fucking high-level fighters. And speaking of Bellator, they just announced a cross-promotional bantamweight fight between their champion, uh, Jesus Christ, I can't can't remember his fucking name. I should probably know this if I'm going to talk about it, right? Uh, See. I'm trying to find it for you guys. Sorry, just give me one fucking second. Darian Caldwell is fighting Kyoji Horiguchi for the Ryzen, uh, what is it? Is it? I think it's the Bantamweight title is what they're going to be fighting for. And uh, it, it brings the question up, is this going to be a normal thing in, uh, that we start seeing in combat sports now where these promotions allow their fighters to go fight in other organizations? And I think you might start seeing it from lower, like some lower level organizations. Not the Bellator and rising or low level but they're not the ufc right like there are people who think that mma is synonymous with ufc like they think it's the same fucking thing so i think you might see it from some of the organizations like bellator like rising but i doubt you're going to see the ufc ship their fighters off to go fight in another organization one it's a massive risk like let's say you take the best fighter that you have in the world and i don't think this would happen i think most of the time UFC fighters are probably going to smash a lot of guys in other organizations unless you run into an up-and-coming superstar, right? And even then, those guys that are potential superstars just haven't seen the level of talent that most people in the UFC, you know, they get to experience that on a day-to-day, not a day-to-day basis, but frequently when they're fighting, right? Um, whole different, whole different atmosphere, I feel like, stepping up to that. And, you know, these guys from the UFC, if they were to go over, would probably be huge favorites. 
over a lot of these guys in other organizations, obviously. But if you send one of your best guys over there and someone in that organization does manage to defeat them, the fighter from the UFC, that is, I mean, you, you, what does that do for the validity of the UFC? It's going to prove to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people already know this, right? Like Bellator has some legit talent. Uh, World Series of Fighting has some legit talent. Uh, One FC, Ryzen, all have legit talent. But like I said, UFC is a powerhouse, and that's where everyone wants to get to, right? That's when you made it. And if the UFC were to ever lose any validity because one of their best fighters lost to someone in another organization, it's not going to be good for business because people are going to start getting interested in other organizations and being like, oh, what's going on over here? Like how the fuck did one of the best fighters in the world lose to a fighter in an organization that I've never even heard of, right? So I personally don't think that's going to end up happening, at least not with the UFC. I think among these other organizations that are kind of fighting for contention with the UFC, you're going to see a lot of it from. And maybe that'll put some pressure on the UFC to step into that arena, but I don't I don't see it happening. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, oh, Greg Hardy is making his UFC debut at UFC on ESPN Plus One, which I think is the same fight card that Paige Van Zant is going to headline against uh, Rachel Ostevich. I think I've got that name right. I think I pronounced her last name right. If not, I apologize. But I, I don't know what to think about this, man. I mean, Greg Hardy is obviously a talent, right? I mean, he's a professional football player. There's no denying that he's a phenomenal athlete, former professional football player. But, I mean, whatever it is, what it is, right? You can't. You can't stop him from competing in MMA, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm rooting for the guy. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know him personally. I'm not exactly rooting against him either, but what he did is pretty, you know, all the, especially, and speaking of all the domestic abuse stuff, how about the Chiefs just cutting Kareem Hunt? I know this is off topic, but I mean, that's a re- Well, you have to think too that when you have these athletes that have been putting helmets on and running into each other at top speed since they were probably eight or 10 years old. And then, you know, they, they're doing that their whole lives. So I'm not defending anything that he, Kareem Hunt did. Everything he did was unexcusable, but there is, I mean, mental health has to come into question there, right? Like what are these, how, how stable are these guys if they've been banging heads, you know what I mean? With, and they put padding on. So you're talking about men who weigh over 200 pounds, run 40 yards in 4.3, 4.4 seconds, and they're just smashing into each other over and over again. It's like, you know they got to have some fucking head trauma. So as we learn more about CT and stuff like that, I'd be interested to see what guys like Greg Hardy and Kareem Hunt and like Ray Rice, I'm interested to see what the impact of playing football had on their decision-making in those certain situations. Because obviously they made the right choice, but how much of that is due to the fact that, like I said, been smashing fucking heads together since the age of eight for the past 20 years just you know there's no way that's fucking good for you i mean i played football in high school and i remember getting my bell rung a couple times and it was the fucking worst and you know that happens to i mean i wasn't even good at football you know what i mean so these the guys who are good at are doing it all the time and have been doing it their whole career and you know fuck it's a rough sport to play in but uh like i'm not rooting for or against them i'm just gonna see what happens like i said i'm not gonna catch me cheering him on just because he's been knocking people out so far. I've still kind of got a hold of grudge against him for what he did, right? Like, and whether he's ever going to live that down or not, I honestly don't know. You know, that's a fucking tough thing to just sweep under the rug and hope people forget about it, but we'll see. All right, let's get on to the main card, start breaking this thing down. Uh, 
First up is going to be Hakeem Dawadu. He's 8-0-1. He's going to be fighting Kyle Bokniak, who is 8-3. And, and Bokniak's coming off that, re- I mean, a great fight against Zabit, but he just got outclassed in it, you know? Zabit was just too much for him, overwhelmed him. His movement was more fluid. And, I mean, but if you watch that fight, credit to Bokniak's toughness and his pressure and his relentless willingness to just keep marching forward despite all the damage he was taking. I mean, it was pretty incredible. And he had that surge in the third round, but just wasn't enough to overcome everything that Zabit had to offer. And Zabit is high level, man. I mean, you're talking about a title contender, one of the most promising young prospects in the UFC by far. Uh, Before he lost to Zabit, though, he picked up a win over Brandon Davis. And Brandon Davis is, I mean... He's high level too. I think he's got a lot of potential lining him too. So for him to go out there and get that win, big deal. And before that, he lost to Jeremy Kennedy. And Kennedy just fucking outgrappled him, man. I mean, not that Bokniak didn't display like good fundamental defensive jujitsu and like he was tight and like trying to, you know, get back to his feet and work back, but Kennedy just overwhelmed him. I mean, that was actually a pretty impressive fucking performance from Jeremy Kennedy. I mean, clearly on a different level of grappling than Bokniak was. But Bokniak's been not struggling, right? He, but he's he's got to get on a roll here. He's been alternating wins ever since he made his UFC debut. He's gone two and three with the promotion. Uh, and he's going to be looking to get back on track against Hakeem Dewadu, who's going to be fighting you know, in his home country. He's coming off a win over Austin Arnett, which was big for him because his UFC debut ended in 30-some seconds after he lost a guillotine via guillotine to Danny Henry. Right. So picking up the next win over Austin Arnett, who is a fucking game opponent, too. But Hakeem's just so technical, man. He just sits back there. He outboxed him. His combos were crisp. I mean, great leg kicks, great timing. He changes levels well. Right. Like he's he he mixes things up so well. He, it's, he's never predictable in what he's doing. He's always and he, ma- he makes reads very quickly while he's throwing his combos. Like you'll see he has he's reacting based off where they go. Like if. You know, they cover up here. He's going to the body or shit like that. You see, he's high level, right? And the question in this fight is going to be whether Hakeem is going to be able to deal with the pressure of Kyle Bokniak. Because Bokniak just likes to come forward, and he's got good technique. It's not like Bokniak's just coming swinging wild. I mean, he does a little bit of that. I think he gets a little over-aggressive. But I think that, man, this is a tough fight. All these fights are fucking close. Like, I, I... I, I haven't looked at the lines, but I'm imagining that they're pretty thin on most of these. But I, uh, fuck, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Bokniak on this, just because I think he needs a win a little bit more. He's he's seen Zabit right, which is pretty high level. He's seen Brandon Davis, Jeremy Kennedy. I mean, he's seen some like relatively high level. He's seen some high level fucking fighters in the UFC, even if they are prospects, right? Like you can tell that these kids have potential that he's been fighting, and I. Uh, Man, I just think his pressure is going to be too much for Hakeem to deal with, especially because Hakeem is primarily a kickboxer. And I just think that that's going to – I mean, the way that Hakeem wins this fight is just by sitting back, letting Bokniak come to him, remaining technical, you know, picking him apart from the outside, moving a lot, a lot of head movement, getting in and out of his combos. You know, if he's just letting Bokniak march him down, I think it's going to be a long night because I don't know if he has – you know, I'm, I'm looking for Bokniak to try to take him down, and I don't know if Hakeem has the takedown defense to deal with that. He might. I don't know. I mean, we're going to find out, but 
Bokniak might not try to take him down. He likes to stand and throw, so we could get a fucking interesting fight. It's just all going to – I think ultimately what this fight is going to boil down to is whether Hakeem is going to be able to deal with the constant pressure of Bokniak because if you look at the Zabit fight, perfect example, I mean, he's going to keep coming. So you have to make him pay for that pressure. He's just going to continue to pour it on you and pour it on you until you, you know, until you cave. So very important for Hakeem to be landing shots while moving backward in this fight, not, you know, not succumbing to the pressure that Bokniak's putting on him. All right. Uh, next, we've got number thirteen ranked Alex Oliveira, and he's going to be fighting number fourteen ranked Gunnar Nelson. And Gunnar Nelson is coming off of that first round, oh, nasty first round KO against Santiago Ponzinibbio. And I mean, knowing what we know now, that loss doesn't look nearly as bad, right? Because Santiago Ponzinibbio is a fucking killer. I mean, in his fight against Neil Magny, he just ate him up. Looked like a he looked like a world champion, right? I mean, like at least at the very least, a title contender. I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be mixing it up with the top two and three guys in that division. So. Not a terrible loss. Right? I mean, no one wants to get fucking knocked out in the first round, but it doesn't look as bad now that we know how good Santiago really is. I think everyone kind of had their suspicions, but you know, when you go when you go out and do that to Neil Magny, who was ranked number eight in the world at the time, I mean, that's fucking uber impressive. But uh, before that loss, he uh, choked out Alan Joban in the second round with a guillotine, and before that, he tapped out Albert Tumanov with a second round with a second round neck crank. I don't even think he had the choke fully locked in. So, I mean, <sighs> one of the things that I think people sleep on a little bit with Gunnar Nelson is how good, I mean, he's obviously known for his grappling, right? Like, especially in 2009 when he was meddling and like he got all these gold and silver medals in the IBJJF championships, right? Uh, so obviously a high level grappler, but if you watch him when he's standing on his feet, I mean, He's got his hands are very fast. Like I think people focus so much on his grappling that they forget about how how crisp his striking is. He moves a lot like Connor. Like they obviously influence each other a little bit in their style. Or, or Gunner is influenced solely by Connor. I don't fucking know, but you'll see some similarities in the way they move. And uh, I think that style against Santiago just marches you down. Got him in trouble because your hands are down. You're more relaxed. But uh, it's been working out for him. Before that, you know, I mean, this guy's only lost three fights in his entire career. One to Santiago, one to Rick Story, and one to Damian Maya. Not bad losses. So, you know, I mean, he's – just watch out for the striking. You know what I mean? I think people sleep on it a little bit, and I think it might it might play a factor in this fight because Alex Oliveira is 19-4, and four and he's fucking aggressive. I mean, look at his fight with Yancey Medeiros, that barn burner that they got into before Medeiros finished him in the third round. I mean, they both had each other hurt several times in that fight. Uh, just going to fucking war, throwing bombs at each other. One of the craziest fights I think I've ever seen, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, he, he, he's he got four losses, a couple no contests on there, right? Didn't he get into some shit with, like, Tim Means? I think in the first Tim Means fight, he hit him with like an illegal knee or something and it got stopped. And then they rematched or something like that. And then Oliveira ended up winning. I can't fucking remember the details off the top of my head. But uh, Oliveira's got a, some good wins on his record, man. I mean, just two fights ago, we beat Carlos Condit. And at the end of the first round, Carlos was on his back about to choke him out. And 
I think Carlos thought going into the second round that I'm just going to fucking take him down again. I dominated them on the ground on, and you know, when we went there in the first round, so why not do it again in the second? But I mean, it ended up backfiring on him, right? Cause Oliveira was able to get back to his feet and snatch his neck up and fucking catch him in a guillotine in the second round. So, I mean, Oliveira's dangerous. Now, uh, and most recently I didn't even mention this, but he picked up a win over Carlos Peter Soli. Uh, in the first round, I think that was like a late notice fight. The kid pr- probably should have never been fighting Alex Oliveira because Oliveira is fucking high level, man. He's good. And no doubt, I feel like he can catch Gunnar Nelson. You know, not even, I don't even want to say catch, like it's going to be luck or something. Like he has the skills to beat Gunnar Nelson on the feet. He's a good grappler, but I don't think his grappling is going to be enough to overwhelm Gunnar Nelson. You know, I don't think that part's going to scare Gunnar. And I think Alex Oliveira's his constant willingness to press forward and be aggressive is going to get him into some trouble against Gunner, who's going to be sitting back, waiting to counter. And if he gets a hold of him and gets him to the ground, man, I think he'll just outclass him there. I'd expect Oliveira to come in, be aggressive, and I think he's just – I think this has potential to be your fight of the night, by the way. Like, if this thing goes off three rounds, I think you got a great fucking fight on your hands. It's just – I think Oliveira, like I said, his aggression is going to play into Gunner's hands. He's going to make him ex- he's going to make a mistake, overextend on something, and it's going to allow Gunner to get the fight to the ground where he wants to be. And then, I mean, fuck, Oliveira's going to be down there swimming. You know what I mean? Swimming with the sharks, basically. I mean, a guy in Gunner Nelson who, like I said, is very credentialed in jujitsu and probably just too much to offer for Oliveira. So I'm going with Gunner Nelson's second round submission. And I didn't give you – I think the first fight is probably going to go the distance, by the way. I never clarified, but Kyle Bokniak isn't exactly a knockout artist. He's got a couple on his record, but if you look back over his fights, he's he's a decision fighter. Nothing wrong with it. I don't I don't give a fuck. Like, don't get, is it more exciting to watch finishes? Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you're trying to win the fucking fight, right? That's all that matters. So if you're going out there and winning your fights, I don't give a fuck if it's by decision, by submission. I just want to see – you know, I want to see people fight the way they're supposed to fight and the way that they feel the best fighting. I don't think you should be taking unnecessary risks and trying to go gung-ho for the knockout if it means costing you the fight. That, that shit seems fucking stupid to me. Fuck what the fans are doing, booing you and stuff. Just do your thing, in my opinion, right? But what the fuck do I know? All right, next, we've got number seven ranked Jimmy Manua, who is 17-3, and three, fighting number 15 ranked Tiago Santos. And I'm not sure if that number 15 beside Tiago's name is his middleweight ranking or his light heavyweight ranking because I'm guessing it's his light heavyweight ranking, but his only win at light heavyweight is against Eric Anders. Uh, Picked up a TKO, and that was a fucking crazy fight back and forth, and arguably Anders was winning the entire fight up until the point where he got knocked out. Uh, And it wasn't even like – a straight up knockout. Anders was just exhausted and couldn't continue. I mean, he tried to walk over to the corner and collapsed. So, I mean, you want to talk about a motherfucker who pushed himself to the limit. Eric Anders is your guy right there. So, and I mean, Tiago at the end of the fight was hitting him with some nice shots, right? Like, I think those shots, those elbows and punches and shit he were hitting him with up against the cage are probably ultimately what ended up ending the fight for Eric Anders. But, you know, Anders looked good against him for the first two rounds. And Anders is probably more of a middleweight. And I think that fight, like I said, took place at heavyweight. I think Anders might have been late replacement, but I can't remember. 
anyway, picked up a TKO in there. Before that, picked up picked up a unanimous decision win over Kevin Holland, and I think that was Kevin Holland's UFC debut, another middleweight bout. And Holland did a lot of shit in that fight that impressed me, man. I mean, avoiding some damage on the ground. He was getting some, too. I mean, Tiago dominated the fight, I thought. He had control of it the whole time. But what you saw in Kevin Holland was a guy who was, I mean, undoubtedly going to be a problem at 185 pounds if his skills keep developing and he can, you know, stay on top of a shit. I think he has a real chance to make a run at 185. But uh, before Tiago beat Kevin Holland, he lost to David Branch in the first round via KO. Branch just caught him with a fucking beautiful overhand right and dropped him. That was it. Out fucking cold. And, you know, that's what I worry about with Tiago because he's aggressive. He, I mean, like, he likes to march guys down, and he's a fucking specimen. I mean, like, he's 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 a big boy, right? And he likes to march people down. He throws a little wild sometimes and uh, moves a lot. Whereas, like, if you watch fucking Jimmy Manoa, he's just right here just walking you down walking you down right and he's i mean whatever fucking works for him he knocks dudes dead uh and i think in this fight particularly i think that i think jimmy man was gonna have a little bit of size on tiago even though tiago's a big boy i don't even know if he should have been fighting at well or at middleweight while he was there but I mean, Jimmy Manoa's got real knockout power. You got to be dangerous moving aggressively against him because anything that you throw, you have an opportunity to get knocked. Like, if you miss big on something, like you fucking swing for the fences, there's a pretty good chance that Jimmy Manoa's left hand's going to come around and fucking crack you and put you on the ground, right? Or anything. He just throws everything with so much fucking conviction and power. Um, but he's been slipping up a little bit lately, right? Having a little bit of a rough patch, right? He just lost to. Jan Blakowicz and uh and UFC fight night in March of this year. Yeah, I think it was like in March of this year. And uh you know, not that he didn't hurt Jan in that fight, but like every time that he did have him hurt, Jan just returned fire and tagged him with it actually. Like one of the things that people do when they get hurt is they go into a shell, right? And if you do that against Jimmy Manua, He's just going to walk up and light you the fuck up because he he can, right? He's going to impose his will on you. So it was extremely important for Yan while backing up, getting his back pressed up against the cage to land some of those counters and keep that pressure from Manuel from accumulating. If that starts building up on you, man, you're going to be fucked. You're going to be in a rough way. So, I mean, my fucking computer screen just blacked out on me here, so I have no idea if you guys can still hear me or not. I'm going to continue on like you can and just hope for the best. Hope it comes back online. Uh, but anyway, the next fight that you uh, – oh, but sorry, got fucking distracted. Uh, I'm going Jimmy Manoa. I think Tiago is going to walk into something, but this is a coin flip fight. I think someone's going to get knocked the fuck out in it, and I have no idea who's actually going to win. Tiago could come out hyper-aggressive, tag him with something. You know, one of those shots could land. I think what you'll see in this fight is whoever – is pushing forward is going to end up winning the fight because go, both guys like to apply pressure. And I think they both fight their best while moving forward. So whoever gets to impose their will is probably going to pick up the win in this fight, in my opinion. All right, next we have Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanna Janczajczyk for the women's flyweight title. And a lot of people like that I talked, even people who follow the UFC didn't even know that the UFC had a women's flyweight champion in Nico Montano. And they had the fight... There's been a whole bunch of fucking 
shit going on at 125 pounds trying to get things straightened out, right? Like, uh, Valentina was supposed to fight Ioana. Then she was supposed to fight Sajara Eubanks. Then she was supposed to fight uh, Nico Montano for the title. And then she was supposed to – and now she's fighting Ioana again. And, I mean, this fight for me is <laughs> – Watch me be fucking wrong on this, but I think this is one of the easier cards in the fight to pick. I mean, I know it was 10 years ago, but these guys have already fought three times in either Muay Thai or kickboxing. Excuse me. And Valentina has won all three matchups, and she's just bigger. I mean, and in addition to all the skills that Valentina possesses, she's going to have a massive size advantage over Joanna. I mean, I thought Joanna was a good-sized 115-pound fighter. And Valentina has mixed it up with Amanda Nunes twice, who's about to be fighting Cyborg, and what could be a potentially like very competitive fight. And she's also fought Holly Holm, who has fought at 145 pounds and beat her, by the way, in a five-round decision. So, I mean, I think we got a good idea of what happens when two really high-class fighters come together and clash. I think we got a good idea of what the outcome is going to be most of the time when we saw Rory McDonald fight Gegard Mousasi over in Bellator. It was domination on Mousasi's end, and Rory McDonald might be the best welterweight in the world, and look at what Mousasi was able to do to him. I mean, I just don't think Ioana's going to be able to overcome all that. And Ioana, if she is going to, has to be landing precisely. Ioana, I don't... <laughs> I don't think she's going to get tired, but I just don't think she's going to be able to keep up. I think Valentina's going to be able to walk her down, really put it on her, and look for Valentina to take it to the ground. Because, I mean, Joanna's takedown defense has been extremely good, especially if you look at her fight against uh, Jessica Andrade, who was a fucking killer, right? It had trouble getting – she couldn't get Joanna down to the ground, and if she did, it was only for like – a split second before Joanna ended up getting back up to her feet and dominating the fight again. But against Valentina, I think size, like I said, is just going to make a difference. And Valentina's no fucking joke on the ground. I mean, she submitted Juliana Pena in a fight where she was favored to win, but on the feet, you know? So, I mean, I just don't see how Joanna can overcome it. I can, but I don't think she's going to be able to do it. She's going to have to counter well. And she's going to have to slip a lot of the shots. And she's going to have to defend the takedowns against a girl who can just outpower her, I think. It's going to be very rough. All right, let's move on to the main event. This is going to be for the featherweight title between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. And I haven't been this excited about a fight in a while. That's a fucking lie. I get excited about almost all the big fights, right? But I'm going to say that probably every time. But Max Holloway hasn't lost a fight since either 2012 or 2013. I had all this shit written down so I could give you actual facts, but now you're just going to get stuff off the top of my head. So take it with a grain of salt and research it. Make sure I'm not fucking lying to you guys about stuff. But Max Holloway has been on an incredible run, and he hasn't lost a fight since he fought Conor McGregor, and I think it was 2013, five years ago, right? I mean, and in that time frame, he's beaten Jose Aldo twice, uh, Anthony Pettis. Uh, did he beat Cub? I can't remember if he beat Cub. Anyway, now he's going to be fighting a guy in Brian Ortega who has never lost a fight. So you've got two guys with very impressive win streaks both on the line, right? And Brian Ortega might be the best jiu-jitsu practitioner off of his back, at least in the entire world and in all of MMA. I mean, 
as far as pure jujitsu, I don't know. I don't know about all that, but in MMA and he might be the best off his back. He's pretty fucking phenomenal. So, and again, kind of the same thing as Gunnar Nelson. Like I think, well, when he knocked out Frankie Edgar, that was such a fucking statement that I think people were like, Oh, this kid can fucking fight. Like he can stand up and box. He can mix things up. He can, he's good everywhere. And I love both of these guys. So I don't even want to pick one if I don't have to, but if I had to pick one guy to win this fight, I feel like I'm leaning towards Ortega. I just feel like Max. So what Max does is he relies on a lot of volume. He's not a knockout artist. He doesn't have that one punch, like knockout power, but he just pours it on you. Like if you look at what he did to Jose Aldo, Jose just couldn't fucking keep up with him. There was nothing he could do. I mean, he would counter sometimes, but like Max would just eat it and just come back and keep pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him until he finally got him out of there. In the third round in both fights, both fights were pretty identical. You know what I mean? I feel like if those guys fought a hundred times, you'd probably get the result close to like 90% of the time, that same result. Uh, but my point is, is that Ortega is a much more calculate. You know, he's a much more calculated striker. And he's he I don't think he I don't think he's gonna quite throw the volume. I think you're gonna find him looking for openings, especially because throughout Ortega's career, he's had an uncanny knack to pull off fights towards the end of regulation, right? Like he'll pull off these late third round. Like I think when he fought Hanato Moicano and my he was doing well on the feet, and Moicano is a high-level striker. I mean, he's a kid to worry about that no one's talking about. I mean, at 145, and I think he's either fighting. He might be fighting on this card or one of the cards coming up. He's fighting pretty soon, and he is a fucking killer, man. I mean, if Ortega didn't catch him in that guillotine in the third round, when Moicano shot oh, an ill-advised takedown, in my opinion, Ortega probably loses that fight, and you're looking at a different landscape at 145. You might be looking at Moicano fighting uh, Holloway for the title instead of Ortega. But a lot of fucking what-ifs there, right? But my point is, is that... Max can outbox him, I think, but at some point, even if he hurts him, like I said, Max doesn't have that one-punch knockout power, so if he hurts him, he's probably going to drop him, and it's going to daze him, and he's going to have to pour it on in order to get the finish, kind of similar like he did to Aldo, right? Like, you got to really put it on him and just start hitting him with stuff, and I think if it gets to that point, he's going to have to get entangled in Ortega's guard in order to finish the fight, unless he'd be smart to just outplay him the whole fight and let Ortega keep standing up. I don't even think you should fucking risk going to the ground with that guy. He's so fucking high level and you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you end up in the spot where, you know, you're on top and you're feeling safe, but he's got so many ways to attack you that you're really not. So I'm looking for Holloway to, like I said, throw a lot of, if he's going to win, in my opinion, I think he's got to throw a lot of volume. He's got to keep pouring it on him. Don't give Ortega time to make a lot of reads. And if you hurt him, distance yourself stand it back up and finish it over just keep beating him up on the feet it's not worth going to the ground and risking the title for it. and i'm sure holloway unless he's confident in his fucking jujitsu which i'm sure he is he's a professional fighter right he's been doing this for a long time and hasn't lost in a long time still don't think it's fucking smart so we'll see what kind of decisions are made i mean we're going to learn a lot about how like how good brian Ortega? obviously he's phenomenal right he knocked out frankie edgar who had never been finished with that beautiful uppercut after hitting him with the step step and elbow that rocked them beat up on cub swanson late finish against clay guida i mean and he's constantly improving when you he's a guy that when you watch him from fight to fight he's always getting better and the strides that he's making are pretty fucking evident right like his boxing and his 
stand-up has come a long, long way. And uh, I don't want to, like I said, this is a close fight. I just feel like Holloway's style kind of plays into Ortega's hands. And I could be wrong. Max could really go out there and pour it on him. But I think at some point, I think you might see Ortega lose a few rounds too. By the way, I think if this if this fight goes to a decision, odds are that Holloway won. I'm 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 guessing. But I think I feel like Ortega's gonna submit him in like the fourth. You know, I think Max will go out there and really, like I said, he'll be bringing it all and everything. And at some point, Ortega's gonna find an opening. Like 25 minutes is a long time to be fighting without sacrificing something, right? And if Ortega can get the fight to the ground, I think it's gonna be hard for Max to hard for Max to get away. But close fucking fight. I'm just going with gut feeling on that one, you know. And if Max wins, credit to him, man. He's been on an unbelievable run. So, and like I said, I like both guys. I'm not rooting for either guy in this fight. I'm just letting you guys know who I, what I think is going to happen, right? And what the fuck does that matter? Because, I mean, I don't actually know, right? Like, I love when people, like, I pick these fights based off of just, like, what I see and what I think. And half the time, I'm fucking wrong. I just, you know what I mean? I do it partly as education to like learn more about the sport because I love it. But I love when you see guys pick a fight and they're like, oh, I told you this guy was going to win. I knew this guy was going to win. Well, did you really? Because A, I doubt you knew they were going to win. And B, you had a 50-50 chance of getting it fucking right. No fucking shit. You know what I mean? Like if you, you got every time you pick a fight, like I'm aware that I have a 50-50 chance to get this right. It's not that impressive if I pick a fight right. So what I try to do, and I try to lay down paths to victory that I think each of the fighters should take. You know what I mean? And sometimes I'm off on it, and sometimes I'm sometimes I hit it right. And you know, you just my goal is to constantly improve fight analysis. My goal isn't to get all these fucking picks right. Like I don't care about the record really, like how I've been doing. I just want to see like how the fights play out and what techniques the fight and what game plans the fighters have to implement against each other, right? Like that's ultimately what I'm trying to figure out here. I don't I don't mean to offend anyone or like insult any of the fighters by going through and being like, "Oh, you're going to beat this guy and this guy's going to beat this guy." Like I don't I don't really I I wish well for all of them. You know what I mean? Like I don't ever I never root for fighters to lose. I think they go through too much in camp. They live a lifestyle that most people can't even fucking begin to comprehend. So to try to go in there and insult that by like to me, I mean, like, I understand that people have favorites, especially, like, there's going to be a ton of people in Canada this weekend rooting for the Canadians, right? But to me, more important than any of that, and I like certain guys, right? Like, there are certain guys that you just can't help but like. Like, I like Cowboy Cerrone. I like Conor McGregor, right? But more important than me liking them and my – like – I can't let my bias impact that because more important than anything, like more important than how, how well liked a fighter is, is the like objective outcome of the fight. Like I try to approach it as objectively as possible. Like I want to view the fight through an unbiased lens, because if not, how are you ever supposed to run a successful podcast like this? Right? Like if you're just picking people that are your favorites every time, I don't know. So I try to be fair to the fighters because I don't mean to do picks as like an insult to them. I just, I try to analyze what's going on. And I make a, a prediction that is oftentimes wrong based off what I think might happen, but you know, all right, let's go through some, 
predictions for like fight of the night and shit. So for fight of the night, I think, like I said, Gunnar Nelson versus Alex Oliveira has a really good chance to be your fight of the night. If it doesn't end early, like someone might get caught. He might clip Gunnar. Gunnar might tap him out. Um, normally I would say Valentina and Joanna just because, I mean, it's probably going to be an action filled fight, but I just think it'll be so dominant that it won't be considered fight of the night. Ortega and Holloway has potential to be fight of the night, especially if the fight goes the distance. Right, even if it doesn't, like I, I expect a late finish from Ortega. I don't think it'll happen early. I think Max is too, too savvy, too much of a vet. Right, he's he's not going to fall for things easily. It's going to take some time for Ortega to find that opening if he even can. But we'll see. Uh, I really think that Ortega Holloway is probably your best chance for fight of the night. Bach, don't sleep on that fucking Bachniak fight though. That could turn into a barn burner real quick because. Hakeem is going to, like I said, he's going to have to counter. And in order to keep up with uh, Bokniak, he's going to have to throw a lot of volume. Like he's not just going to be able to throw a counter or two. He's going to have to be landing consistently to keep Bokniak off him. So that could play out to be fight of the night. There's a, by the way, this is a fucking great card. If you're a fight fan, even if you don't know all the names on this card, sit down and watch it because even the fucking prelims are stacked. You know, this is going to be an entertaining fight card. I have no doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, definitely tune in. There's some, there's some, my computer fucking died. I plan on giving you guys dates and stuff, but I know there's some big fights coming up next weekend in Bellator. I think Michael Chandler is fighting. Uh, he's rematching Brent Primus to get his title back, attempt to get his title back. Uh, there's another Bellator fight that same, like the next day. Kevin Lee and Ally Quinta fight next weekend. John Jones and Alexander Gustafson the weekend after that. Man, it's a fucking, it's a good time to be a fight fan, right? Uh, but I think that's all I got for you guys today. I'll try to roll an episode out after the fights take place this weekend. And, uh, we'll try to, you know, do a little aftermath show and try to determine what's next for the fighters after, uh, after UFC 231 on Saturday. Uh, I think the main card starts at 10, by the way, on pay-per-view and, uh, prelims will probably be on FS1. I haven't looked, but I'm just assuming. And then your early prelims will be on fight pass. <sighs> what else i think that's it i think that's all i got for you guys so uh yeah check us out on instagram and facebook i have a twitter made for this fucking account but i never really use it i think it automatically posts updates like i don't know but anyway follow us on instagram and facebook at least uh if you like the podcast hit the subscribe button feel free to comment send suggestions right i can accept criticism and uh yeah have a good day thank you for listening bye